This morning, for the preaching of God's Word, let's consider what is probably the most well-known verse of the Bible, John 3.16. It's likely that we have all seen the, this Bible reference in various places and many times over, uh, many times over displayed as a, as a kind of advertisement uh, at sporting events. There is sometimes a, a spectator in the crowd, maybe more than one, uh, quietly watching the game while holding a sign that reads John 3.16. And we might see it at other times, maybe on a billboard. We might see it in other places posted on some sign. Uh, one quarterback in the NFL uh, has even, uh, was even known to display John 3.16 on his face in, uh, in that black paint or grease that athletes put under their eyes. I'll admit I had to look up online to find out what that stuff is called, and uh, it's simply called uh, eye black. Uh, you athletes are rolling your eyes that I didn't know that, but um, um, it's supposed to lessen the glare of light reflecting off their skin and, and into their eyes. But this one quarterback managed to have it written in his eye black, under both eyes as I remember it correctly, John 3.16. I wonder if it works. Uh, I wonder how many people have seen such displays of John 3.16 and, and been prompted to look it up. That, after all, is, is what the effort and the hope is to prompt people to look it up in the, in the Bible. It would, uh, it would be an interesting thing to do a survey uh, to find out. Uh, the first question of the survey might be, uh, have you ever seen the, the word and the numbers John 3.16 displayed in public? They would probably say yes. Second question would be, um, were you ever moved to look up the verse uh, in the Bible? Did you ever do it? And of those who said yes to the first question, they, they have seen it, but no to the second question, they've never looked it up, well, then the third question would be, why not? And the answers would, uh, would likely vary. Uh, I, I didn't look it up because I, I didn't know what it was referring to. Or uh, I didn't look it up because I just wasn't interested. Or maybe I didn't look it up because I already knew what it said. But there is another question to be asked. Of course, uh, we need to ask, do we know what this means? Of those of us who do know the verse, who have read it, it, it could be asked further, do we know what it means? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And what I would lead us to do this morning is to go through this verse uh, in order to understand better what it means. And I don't mean to offend, uh, maybe you already know what it means. Uh, if so, then the review will, will do us good. Uh, another teacher and writer in the Bible wrote, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And uh, so there's uh, an old song in the church that says, I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat, 
what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. Another verse says, I love to tell a story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. But then again, maybe we really do need to explore this verse and and understand it, not by a, a quick reading, but by way of a more careful study. Because whether for review or for new knowledge, here is a very important message for us to hear. And I would argue this morning that this is even the most important message for us to hear, to understand, and to believe. Here is what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news of salvation by faith in Jesus for eternal life. So let's consider the love of God. Uh, Verse 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Uh, It says more, of course, but let's consider the love of God. And in fact, let's, let's first stop and consider the one word, God. There are those who claim to be an atheist, a person who doesn't believe in God, a person who believes that there is no God. But God's word says that that's foolishness. In fact, Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the point is not just name-calling. That's how we, as sinners, use the word fool. Simply uh, to say or think, you fool, you, you idiot, you moron, when we disagree with someone. But let's not project our sinfulness onto God. God isn't lashing out in sinful anger at, at anyone who denies that he exists. Instead, God is, is simply saying that it's foolishness. A person proves himself to be a, a, a fool who says there is no God. And here's why. Because we live every day surrounded by things that he has made. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. To say there is no God is is to look up at the stars and the the moon at night and, and to say, Wow, look what just showed up here on its own. Look at this universe that created itself. Can we not hear the foolishness in that? Some of you have heard this illustration before, but when, when you go to an art museum, you never say, uh, unless you're a fool, you, you never say, look at this great work of art, and to think that this just came to be on its own. And that would not only be a foolish thing to say, it would also be a great insult to the artist. Nothing in this world just came to be on its own. Why then do people try to say that there is no God? Could we just admit that sometimes we need to have our mistakes and even our foolishness pointed out to us? Couldn't we set aside our pride enough to say, you know, that's, that's a good point. 
And this is what God's word will do for us. Even as an act of love, God points out the obvious to us in his word, not in an angry way, but in a helpful way. God basically says, don't be foolish. Don't play the fool. And so God's word in Romans 1 verse 19 teaches that what can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. It should be abundantly clear many, many times over that God exists. There should be no doubt Because it really is just this simple. If there is a creation, then there is a creator who made it. And we we should even know so very much about God because as great and majestic, as complex and yet simple the world around us is, the artist is always greater than the thing he creates. But we are given not just to be foolish, denying or ignoring the existence of God, but we are also rude and insulting toward God. Even if we don't deny that God exists and yet we just don't care, we don't acknowledge his blessings by giving him thanks and we dishonor him. Maybe this illustration will help. Suppose there was a very talented, very hardworking, and a very successful man who built an entire estate of a thousand acres. There are fields and vineyards and arboretums. And what if this man invited you to come and live on his estate? What if he gave you free range and full use of all that he owned? Eat what you want, enjoy all that he has, go wherever you desire to explore and delight in his estate. What would it say of us if we accepted that invitation, if we came and availed ourselves of all that was given us, but also failed to even say thank you? Even worse, what if if a person came and enjoyed the estate, but began to deny that the owner of the estate even existed. Look at this estate that I just found. I'm sure that nobody made it. It it must have just appeared here on its own. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. It just appeared all by itself. And since nobody made it, so nobody owns it. So it belongs to me. Well, that's what sin has done to us. God created this world. Even more, God created this world as an estate, his estate, yet where we could live and enjoy and delight in all that he has made. We were those creatures among many other creatures, but we were those creatures who were given the special ability to think and to know our creator and to appreciate his blessings. And so to acknowledge him and thank him as the one who has blessed us. But now as sinners, as as fools, 
We are given to deny him, to claim not even to know him. We only claim what's his as our own, and we neglect or even refuse to give him thanks. So that's an important starting point for understanding the love of God because it's despite our ingratitude that we yet know the love of God. We yet are allowed to live in this world, at least for now. In our day and culture, love has many different meanings and definitions, some of them right and some of them wrong, some even terribly wrong. So we need a standard. We need a measuring stick, so to speak. We, we need help to see what true love really is. And the Bible, as God's word, teaches that God himself is that standard. The man who wrote the Gospel of John, where we find our text, John 3.16, he also wrote letters to the churches. And in 1 John 4, verse 7, he teaches this, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So love, even between peoples, as says John, comes from God, only as we are born of God and know God. But then he goes even further to write, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We have all likely seen this too. God is love posted on a sign or on a t-shirt or a, or a bumper sticker. God is love. So it says in God's word. The point is not to say that God is only love. It's not that God doesn't have other attributes, including his holiness, his justice, his grace, his mercy, and, and other attributes. But the, but the point is to hear this teaching, that if, if we are to know true love, and not some version of love made by imperfect, sinful people, then we must find love starting in God. And immediately we get a very important clarification one that is, is needed and is often missing in other definitions of love. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave. Here we learn that, to, to put it one way, love is a verb. Once again, not that love isn't a, a feeling and attraction that we feel toward another person, but the feeling is not yet truly love unless it leads to action. And there are certain actions that even contradict love. A husband cannot say, I love you, to his wife, but then be cruel to her or go out and be unfaithful to her. And the same for a wife and how she relates to her husband. Love is a verb. Love finally is what you do. And we see this in John 3.16 as we hear that God so loved the world that he gave We might even say that he gave love or he acted in love when he gave his only son. In the version of the Bible that I am using, there is even a footnote that says that this could also be read, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son. 
So next, let's consider God's gift of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his his only son. When we think of God's gift of Christ, we might think of Christmas. Christmas is the day, even the time of year, when we especially might remember the the gift of God in giving us Christ Jesus to be born in Bethlehem and, and laid as a baby in the manger. Sadly, our culture in America still celebrates Christmas, but leaves out Christ. People enjoy the feast only for the sake of the feast. They, they celebrate while forgetting what they're celebrating. And does that not fit with the picture of living on another person's estate while denying that the owner even exists? And it's like a party on a college campus. You might see that there's a party going on and say to someone, Hey, I, I see you're having a party. What are you celebrating? It's not the end of the semester or the school year, so what's the occasion? But of case, of course, there, there is no occasion. It's, it's just a party. And so it is with Christmas. When Christmas began as a celebration of the birth of Christ and the recognition that Jesus was born as God's greatest gift to the people of earth, Remember the shepherds in the fields and how the the angels declared to them, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Unto you is born a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you Jesus was born. And from, from what the Bible says further about Jesus, we, we really should hear the, the angels speaking to us as well. Unto us Jesus was given. Unto us, a Savior was given, and His name is Jesus. But the gift of God is more than a baby born so long ago. The question remains, how? Uh, how, how was He our Savior? Uh, how, is he, how is He yet our Savior today? <clears throat> we need to see that the, the gift of God in the manger is also the gift of salvation. And here's where we can begin to get at the gospel, the good news, all the more. The angel said to the shepherds, uh, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then, for unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And God's word goes on to tell the story. It goes on to explain. It goes on to teach the fullness of, of who Jesus is and, and the fullness of what he did to provide our salvation so that in the end, as a result, we might understand and, and know that salvation is the gift of God. Jesus was the gift of God when he was born, but so what? How is it good news that a baby was born 2,000 years ago? The good news is not just the birth of Christ, but also who Christ was as he was born and what Christ did as he came to earth, his life, his teaching and and miracles, his suffering and death in the place of sinners and, and his glorious and victorious resurrection from the dead and all of it. All of it teaches God's word was to provide salvation, to give salvation as a gift to sinners like you and like me. 
And sinners, it would seem, are most often known to refuse the gift. And why? I'm sure there are a number of reasons. One reason might be that a a person, a, a sinner, just doesn't yet realize that salvation is God's gift. I hope and pray that this sermon might make it clear salvation is God's gift to the sinner. And and the call of the gospel in its most simple form is to receive it by faith. Just believe it in, in order to receive it. There's a story recorded in Acts 16 where a man cries out, What must I do to be saved? Great question. But here's the great answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The idea of, of that answer is basically to say, what must you do? You ask what you must do? Why, nothing. Because it's all been done for you. God has done what needs to be done. Christ has accomplished salvation by his life, his death, his resurrection, in order to give salvation as a gift so that we might simply receive salvation and have it as our own, even as we receive him and claim him as our own. Jesus himself said, maybe you know the verse, come unto me and rest. He didn't say, come unto me and I will show you you how you can save yourself. Instead, he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But another reason why the gift is refused is that a a person uh, refusing doesn't think that they need it. So they don't want it. They are a a good enough person in their minds and, and, and not a sinner who needs to be saved. And maybe that person isn't the worst of sinners. As we compare ourselves to other sinners, we can always come away thinking well of ourselves and avoiding the conviction of our sin. So the answer here is instead to compare ourselves to God. Because when we do, we will see that there is enough sin in every sinner to put them in need of salvation and to make it necessary that salvation be the gift of God to even the least of sinners. Yet another reason why the gift is refused comes uh, maybe at the other end of the spectrum. We might say, one sinner thinks, I don't need salvation, I'm good enough, my sin isn't so great, I, I don't want the gift. Give it to someone who needs it. But at the other end of the spectrum of unbelief is, is the sinner who, who knows his sin and, and feels unworthy to be saved. And I think there are two answers to this refusal. One, one is to realize that If we don't feel worthy to be saved, we don't know the half of it. Of course we are unworthy to be saved. But that's why we need to be saved. 
And this is exactly the grace of God, that He saves unworthy sinners. Even as God continues to bless the sinner who denies his very existence, so God does even more. He blesses the sinner with salvation, even as he is unworthy, exactly because she is unworthy. If we feel we are unworthy to be saved, we don't need to be told, Oh, no, that's not true. Uh, you, You are worthy to be saved. We need instead to be convicted of how unworthy we truly are. And the second answer is to see that the person who counts himself unworthy doesn't yet realize the consequence he faces apart from Christ and the gift of salvation. And it's true of all of us that that if we understood the judgment of God for sin, then we would gladly, we would eagerly receive the gift In all our unworthiness, we would flee to the cross. We would cling to Christ in faith and claim the gift of salvation. This really is what is meant when John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So there are two extremes in in John 3.16. The one extreme is the full consequence of sin by the judgment of God, and it's found in the word perish. To perish is to die. But sadly, in our day, the word perish would seem to uh, be used for things forgotten in the back of the refrigerator. But here in John 3.16, it means not only to die, but to suffer for ourselves the judgment of God for sin. But Jesus came as God's gift to provide a salvation that is God's gift by taking that judgment upon himself at the cross. And so the other extreme in John 3.16 is the extreme of salvation, eternal life. The gift of salvation through Christ puts the word not in front of the word perish. But by putting the word not in front of the word perish, the outcome is eternal life for those who believe in Christ. So God is love. We see his love first in his creation of all things and in how he gives us life here in this world. But we see the love of God all the more through sin, even our own sin. Because even as we sin and as we dishonor God, yet he continues to bless us. And even more, we see the love of God as he provides salvation for us. As he provides salvation for the very ones who neglect to be thankful to him. And so he gave his only son to do the work of salvation, to make salvation the gift of God along with his son. And the call then of the gospel is simply to believe, to believe and and receive the gift. If there's something more to do, then it's it's only to confess our sins, to know our, our complete unworthiness.
and yet to see that God is love. He is gracious to us and calls us to receive Christ as our salvation from sin. If you are here this morning in unbelief, and if even now you are not ready to receive Christ in faith for your salvation, then is it perhaps because you need to understand these things more? And so in the very least, which is certainly not least, I would call upon you to explore these things more within God's Word. Pick up your Bible. If you don't have one, we'll provide one for you. Read the story. Hear the message. And think of it this way, that if you had some deadly disease and you heard and kept hearing from many people about a cure for the disease that you have, and it's in some far-off land, and if you heard about this cure enough times, surely you would scrape together your money, you would borrow money so that you could fly to the location of the cure for your disease. You would, you would take that effort to overcome a deadly disease. So the equivalent here is that you don't even have to fly to another country. Get with someone in this church. Read the Bible on your own. Find out what this salvation is all about. Find out more of who Jesus is as God's gift to you. And come to understand better how much you need this salvation and come to know all the more that this salvation, by way of God's love, by way of His grace and mercy, this salvation is His gift to you. Take no rest, find no peace, until you have explored these things within God's Word and pray, pray that God would open your eyes to His truth, to know and receive His salvation as His gift to you. Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, O God, if we are still in our unbelief, let us take no rest, let us find no lesser peace, but rather pursue that rest and that peace which are found in Jesus Christ and come even with the promise of eternal life. Help us to understand that these things are reasonable And they are glorious in their truth. And they are the most important message that we need to hear. For we are sinners. And you are the God who saves sinners. Grant each of us a true and growing faith in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. 
Amen.